Well, we are going to continue this morning our series on Empowered to Grow. And actually what I've done is there are actually a couple of messages left in Empowered to Grow series, but the Lord has impressed upon me. We've got so many things coming up that next Sunday in the tradition of the great apostle Pastor Phil, we're going to have graduation Sunday. Uh, so those of you who remember, he used to always call the gra- whoever was graduating, he would call them up on the stage and, you know, sort of preach to the congregation and preach to them as well and encourage them. And so we're going to do that next Sunday. And I don't know that we really have many who are graduating, but if you know any graduates, uh, you know, tell them to fill out the information, give their bio and a picture to the media team uh, before next week and hopefully before Sunday. And that way they can put that together and we can have a good time next week doing that. And then, of course, I think the week after that is Father's Day. So we'll have a good time on that. So what I've done is condensed the last two messages uh, in this series into one message. We, we talked about Empowered to Grow, growing uh, people, growing us as individuals, right? God has empowered us to grow. And then we talked about Empowered to Grow, growing families, how God emphasizes uh, families and the importance of families. And so we have Empowered to Grow, Growing Community, and then also Empowered to Grow, Growing Church. And so growing church is uh, so important, but we're going to condense community and church into one. Now, that does not necessarily mean it's going to be a double sermon, okay? So we won't be here as doubly as long, Brother Steve, don't worry. All right, but... uh, uh, but, uh, you know, the Lord will bless us and he'll let us know what he wants us to know. Amen. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 16, uh, verse number 11, excuse me. And uh, so you have empowered to grow church. Okay. All right. Verse number 11. You know, when we read the Bible, we read in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God is a God of multiplication, isn't he? He is a God that, in fact, one of the first things he said after he created man and woman is be fruitful and what? Multiply, right? And uh, in, in fact, we read another story in the parable of the talents, the master left not only his goods in the hands of the servant so that they would keep those things, but when he came back, he expected what? He expected some multiplication. He expected a return, didn't he? Uh, And he just left them. He didn't, in fact, that was his investment, but he left it up to them to do the investing, didn't he? And so really God expects the same thing from us. He expects multiplication. He expects multiplication. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, the Bible says, and he himself, talking about Jesus, the Christ, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the what? equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, just a side note here. Since we are a discipleship church, I just wanted to mention this, and we talked about this on Wednesday night. You know, most would 
you know, come to church and be a part of a church, be a part of a congregation and feel as though, hey, listen, there's a pastor there. Maybe there's an evangelist among us. There's one that prophesies. There's a prophet. There's an apostle as we have amongst us. You know, there's uh, uh, all the teachers, you know, and it's up to them to do the work of the ministry. We come and we support them. Uh, We follow them. You know, they lead. And as they lead, we follow. But they do the work of the ministry. But as you read... Brother Paul's letter to the uh, church at Ephesus, he has a little different take from the Holy Spirit through him on that subject. He doesn't say that the apostles, the pastor, and the teacher, and the prophet are to do, and the evangelists are to do the work of the ministry. It's a little strange. He says they are there for the what? Equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. This is important. This is important as we go along here for us to know that. He goes on to say, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come together to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To be a perfect, in other words, a mature man, a mature person, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love that we may grow up, there it is, that we may grow up in all things Into him who is the head, Christ, from the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part, listen, does its share. That's what causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That every part does its share. I'm a person who a lot of times I'll look at scripture or I'll listen to a conversation and I listen to what people are saying. I'll listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And I also, Brother Barry, will listen to what he's not saying. And when I look at this and I see that the Holy Spirit through Paul really implores us to work together in unity. And he says, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, he says this, causes growth. So what causes growth? Working together, every part doing its share. So when I flip that around and look at the other side of that, if every part is not doing its share, what happens? We don't grow. You ever wonder why you're not growing as a person, your family, our church? Why we're not influencing our community? Well, I'm talking to myself when I say, look in the mirror. Is every part doing its share? What Paul, I didn't say it. It's what Paul said. I mean, it's convicting to me. I'm not jumping on you. I'm just looking at what Paul is saying to me. I thought I would convey that to you. 
What am I talking about when I'm talking about growing? Well, we've said this, grow, I, I mean it to, 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 to mean to become, what, larger, greater over a period of time, to increase, right, becoming greater in quantity, size, extent, or intensity. And so when we talk about growth, we're talking about numbers, but we're also talking about our spirit, spiritual maturity, we're talking about knowledge. We're talking about the whole man. We're talking about the whole body of Christ growing. We're talking about growing our community, more believers in the community. We're talking about growing our church, numbers, and on unto full stature, as Paul has said. We have a greater revelation, a deeper understanding as we grow in numbers. In other words, growing equates to increasing in some way. Now, I said God is a God of multiplication. He said, be fruitful and multiply. You all know what multiply means. Multiply means to become greater in number. It's like growing. To increase, but listen to this, to increase mightily with the result of being abundance, having more and more and more to increase considerably, enlarge, expand, extend. Listen, think about the Lord for a moment and what he did with creation. Now, I am going to approach this with the assumption that there are not little green men on other planets. I don't know. I've not been to other planets, Brother Eldon, you know. Maybe God did. I don't know. He, he, has, he doesn't have it here, but if he did, he hasn't revealed that to us yet. So I'll just go based on the information that we have, and we are the only people in the universe. 7,537,247,003 people. I don't know that for real, Sister Sharon. It's just more than 7 billion. I just made that number up. I threw that in there, but... Something more than 7 billion people on the planet, almost 8 billion, I think, was the latest count, you know, if we count China. And uh, so I, <laughs> I know, I know, Sister Clarissa, what can you say? But I'm going to assume that this 8 billion people are the only people in the universe. Now, when you look at that, you say, wow, that's a lot of people. I mean, 8 billion people. Think if you had $8 billion, you know? You think of it like that, that's a lot, right? But when I step back for a moment and I think about what the scientists say, that the earth is one of nine, well, eight planets, if they know, I don't know if they know or not, but not one of eight planets in our solar system, the sun being the largest star and billions of stars, but then that's only uh, our galaxy, the Milky Way. And there are millions or billions of galaxies with millions and billions of stars, so forth and so on. You look at all of that, the universe, and then you would say, well, what, if we're this little tiny planet with our 8 billion people and the universe is as big as this room and we're this, why did God do all this? Isn't it a little excessive? I would think that that's a little unnecessary. I mean, if we could get on our high horse and look down our nose, we might scold God and say, you're wasting a little bit here. 
But what we must understand is that is who God is. Saying that to make a point. God does things in a, he's not limited. He does things in abundance. And to him, it's not excessive. It's necessary. He doesn't do things by chance and happenstance. He does things for a purpose. The earth is his footstool. Now, if that spirit that created all of that saved us and infiltrated us with his spirit, put that same multiplication spirit in us, I want to tell you this morning that you are empowered to grow. You are empowered to multiply. You are empowered to multiply uh, with knowledge, with maturity, with your finances. In every area of your life, you are empowered to grow. And if you are empowered to grow, your family is empowered to grow. Now, some of us don't want our family to increase in numbers anymore. See, my wife's shaking her head. But there's other ways we can grow. We grow together, right? We grow in maturity. We grow closer, all right? We grow in the Lord together. Your family is empowered to grow. If your family is empowered to grow, your community is empowered to grow. Why? Because you are in the community. Do you remember the story when Paul was, uh, be, he was in chains and they were taking him on a ship and I believe they were going to Rome at the back half of the book of Acts, Brother Keith, and uh, they came upon a storm. I believe the Bible called it Eurachlodon, right? And a storm came upon the ship, tossed it to and fro, right? And everybody was, oh, no, we're going to die. And Paul said, look, calm down. Just like Jesus did, right? Peace be still. Everybody calm down. Oh, ye of little faith. Now, Paul was not being arrogant here, but he just understood something. He said, listen, we're not going to perish. Even if this boat tears apart and all of that, we, you will be saved. Why? Because I'm on the boat. Because the Spirit of God is in me, and I'm on this boat. Therefore, you will be saved just because I'm here. It was because the Spirit of God was in Paul. It's not because of Paul's flesh and blood. You are in your community. You have the power to save your community because the Spirit of God lives in you. Our church has the power to grow. Amen. And it's not because we have some gifted pastor. <laughs> That's the truth. We know that. It's not because of anything other than you are here and the Spirit of God is in you. Think about this for a moment. Jesus was in the earth, walking the earth. Blind people were calling out to him. Lady with issue of blood. Rulers, daughters were dying. Peter's mother-in-law, he's, he's doing all that he can. This guy must have been beat. He's teaching on the mountain, trying to find time to pray, walking on water, rebuking the waves, right? Uh, all the while, he's dealing with his disciples who want to bring down fire from heaven because they're upset uh, with others, right? So he's trying to grow them at the same time. I mean, he's doing all, all that he can do. And then finally, he tells them, he, he says these words in the Gospels. He says, Listen, when I leave, 
you will do greater works than I have ever done. Didn't say it exactly like that, but he said, you are going to do greater works than me. How can that be? We've seen all these things that you've done. But here's the thing. When Jesus walked the earth as a man, he could only be in one place at one time. When he left, he sent his spirit. He poured out his spirit on all flesh. Now, Jesus, through you, can be in multiple places at the same time. Healing people, come on. Delivering people. Praying for people. Laying hands on people. Why? Because it's his desire to increase. God is a God of increase. Now, think about those people, though. Jesus had left. So who turned the world upside down? I want to tell you this. It wasn't the flesh Jesus. It wasn't Jesus in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh didn't turn the world upside down. He turned a small region upside down. But if you really study and you look at the book of Romans and hear how Paul's talking to the Romans, remember when he says, uh, while you are yet in your sin, Jesus died on the cross over here for you. Remember, he was saying, what he was saying was, while you didn't even know that you had sin, you didn't even know there was a Jesus, you didn't even know that you needed to be saved, he was over here dying on the cross for you. You didn't even know to ask for forgiveness. How could you ask for forgiveness? You didn't even know it yet. But he did the work so that later you could ask for forgiveness. While you were yet in your sin, he died on the cross for you. And therefore, there was much of the world that didn't even know about Jesus. So he affected a small area. This is why he said before he ascended, listen, go and make disciples in your home, in your community, in your city, in your state, in your country, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Multiply. Go out, multiply. Start here and multiply out. But now, back to the point, think about who did this. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus left. It was regular people like you and me. Now, some will say, well, I don't know about that, Brother Mike, because, you know, Peter, you know, Paul, those were, those were great, you know, those were great men. Mary, she was the mother of Jesus, you know, those, James. Listen, at the time they started out, they weren't Peter and Paul and James. We heard the brother say on Wednesday that Peter had a foot-sized mouth, right? And so here you go, this guy uh, who uh, is talking bad to Jesus. You know, when I say bad, I mean he's talking bad, like he's somebody rebuking Jesus. What do you mean you're going to die? You're not going to die. That's just foolishness. Now stop talking like that. Jesus had to say, Satan, get thee behind me. He's got the nerve and the audacity to talk this way to Jesus, yet when Jesus dies or is get, being taken to the cross, he says, I don't know the man. Turned his back. Is this the one you want to build your church on? I'm talking about regular people like you and me. Turn the world upside down. And so if you're waiting on your pastor to turn the church upside down and turn the world upside down, come on. 
if you're waiting for some evangelist to come through and have revival and turn us upside down, you might be waiting a while. Jesus used regular people. He, he used Joe and Sue and Mike and Larry. Come on, you and me are the people that are world changers, that make a difference. Increase and multiplication are God's way. Genesis 28.3 says this, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may be an assemblies of people. Here we see he's saying that the church is to multiply. May the Lord God bless you. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful. Now, first he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply on the earth. I want more people on the earth. Now he's saying, be fruitful and multiply that you might be an assembly of people, that you might be able to come together in unity. Multiplication. New Testament, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Paul says, then the word of God spread. Actually, the writer of Acts, Paul didn't write Acts. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. This is discipleship. Discipleship is multiplication. That's what it is. And I want, to, I want to say another side note about discipleship. I've talked about this with some of our leaders, but this is, this is the direction we're going because it's Scripture. Because it's Scripture. You know, me growing up in the church, I would always think, well, you know, if you're a new convert, you're a new Christian, and you're coming into church, you're new to the assembly, you know, Brother Scott, then you'd have to sit. You know, you need to take first principles for 28 weeks, all right, Chris? And uh, then you need to take a few more classes. And then uh, once you took all those classes, now you could come in and get ready to take a few more classes. And then once you did that, now you could go up to Greeter. You worked your way all the way up after about a year and a half to Greeter. And then once you've Greeted for a while, maybe a year, two, gone through some things, maybe some more classes, now you can work your way up to usher. Now you're usher. Ooh, you're getting somewhere now. Now you worked your way up to usher. You take some more classes. Maybe after about eight, nine, ten years, you might work your way up to the soundboard. Maybe after about 15, 20 years, <laughs> then you might get a key to the building so that you could come in and clean the building. You know, it was some sort of corporate hierarchy that you worked your way up and you had to do all these things. And in the meantime, doing all this stuff, you couldn't really talk to or teach or tell other people. You know, you couldn't disciple somebody. You're a disciple yourself. But when I look at the scripture and I look at the word of God, these people were getting saved. They were being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they would go out and start telling other people and discipling them. Now, they're not teaching the theology classes. We know that. But all you got to do is stay one step ahead of the person you're telling. If you know Jesus and they don't know Jesus, hey, there's a point you can disciple them. Right? 
You learn a little more, you get a revelation. The next person doesn't have that revelation, you disciple them. Right? One author and pastor calls it the wiki church. And it's true. When I first heard that, that's kind of hard to, you know, when you first hear that, you're like, oh, well, you know, we live in a microwave society. But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, if we're going to multiply, multiplication is not a turtle. (laughs) Come on. Multiplication. You don't think of a turtle when you think. What do you think of when you think of multiplication? You think of a rabbit. Okay, we'll move on. (laughs) Multiply. Yeah, you know, you. X9, X9 31 says the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were what? They were multiplied. They multiplied. They multiplied. By the way, another little side note here. When we talk about being a disciple, when we talk about being a witness for the Lord, some of you know that that word witness comes from the same word that means what? Anybody? Martyr. The word witness comes from the same word that means martyr. So now that kind of makes you think about witnessing in a little different light, doesn't it? You see, I love the, I keep referring to it, but I love the, the lesson that we had on Wednesday. The brother was, had mentioned, and he talked about, listen, our, our thought process is that, you know, if I'm not a preacher. I'm not up there preaching, you know, Pastor Phil, Pastor Mike, whoever it is that preaches. You know, I'm not up there preaching. So my job is to go to work and be happy, smile, and just, you know, tell people I forgive you be nice, that type of thing. That's, that's what my job is. And that's my thought too. You know, listen, everybody's not an evangelist. Everybody doesn't have a soapbox, you know, to stand on and preach and all of those type of things. So in that case, you just be nice and just smile at people. And then the brother reminded us that there are people in Nepal and Indonesia and China and Africa that are being tormented, that are suffering, that are being killed for being a witness. I don't think they're being killed and they're suffering because they smiled at somebody. Now think about that for a moment. That's going to kind of make you think a little bit differently. Yes, it is our job to be nice and smile. But there are times when we got to open our mouth and say something. There are some times where people have to know where you stand. There was this song when I was growing up. Most of you may not, probably won't know it, but there was this group called Commission. And uh, they had this song that said, uh, let your light shine. And in that song, one guy was talking to another guy and he was, you know, it's kind of like the guy was saying, well, what do you mean? I'm a Christian and I'm nice to people. And, uh, you know, the one brother was saying, well, you know, you're nice to people and all that, but people really don't know that you're a Christian. You know, when you're in the workplace, people don't really know that you're a Christian. And so people should know who you are and what you stand for. God is challenging us. And so if we're going to grow our church, we're going to grow our community, we need to be able to stand on something. We need to be able to open our mouth at times. 
And I'm not talking about just starting arguments and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about being able to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being able to say, well, I hear everything you're saying, but all I know is Jesus died on the cross. You know, there were several instances in, instances in the Bible where someone had to open their mouth. The man that was blind and Jesus opened his eyes came before some leaders and they said, well, what about this? You know, do you think this man is the Messiah or is he a prophet? What is he? He said, look, I don't know what this guy is, but I'm going to tell you this. I was blind and now I can see. That's what I know. And some of us as Christians need to be able to say, look, you can come up with all of the science and all the things that you want to come up with, but I'm going to tell you one thing. I was a sinner and now I am saved by grace. I am saved. Where would I be if not for your grace? I was a sinner and now I'm saved by grace. We need to be able to say that. Say that. So we're talking about growth, and there are some growth roadblocks. I'm not going to uh, dwell too much on these, but just let me throw some of these out here for you. Some things that will prevent us from growing, especially as a church. First is lack of joyful anticipation. Listen, I know that you don't like every song that we sing, every sermon that's preached, every person that's sitting beside you. I know. You ain't going to have to say it. I understand. But when you come to church... You ought to have a little joyful anticipation for seeing your fellow man, singing together, and most of all, worshiping the Lord. I mean, God is here. God is in this place. And so out of all the disagreements and all the things, all the offenses, you come into this place, God is in this place. We brought him here after all. And we ought to be able to sing together. We ought to be able to worship the Lord together with a joyful anticipation. This is what causes God to move. What about a lack of freshness in prayer and worship? Sometimes that can hurt us. We need to have somebody who doesn't usually pray come up and pray sometimes. Come on. Lack of freshness. Irritated with little things. Come on now. All of us can, you know... We've been there, irritated with little things. All right, don't look at me, Didi. I see you looking at me. Irritated with little things. Unappreciative of the family. We need to be able to appreciate each other. All right? What about negative comments and attitudes? Lauren, got to get past some of that. We need to speak life. After all, we're the what church? The life church. Let's speak life to each other. Lack of motivation and desire. Weariness, bewildered, disheartened, and demoralized. Sometimes when these things get upon us, we'll just never do what we should be doing. We'll never encourage each other. We won't pray for each other. We won't worship like we should worship. Well, a friend of mine used to call it majoring in the minors. <laughs> we major in the minors, all these little things, and we make them big things. You don't know what God says? Don't do that. That's what he says. Don't do that. We need to be good to each other. If we can't be good to each other, it's going to be hard to be good to others. I was reminded of this story. This gentleman was saying that he'd taken his children out for ice cream. And uh, they got to the ice cream place, and his uh, six-year-old son said, Hey, Dad, can I say grace? And he said, Well, okay, you're six. Uh, 
Sure, go ahead. Why don't you say grace? So other people are around, you know, at the ice cream place. And so the son says, God is good. God is great. Thank you for this food. And I would thank you even more if mom gets me a large hot fudge sundae and liberty and justice for all. Amen. <laughs> So along with the laughter from the other customers nearby, the man says, I heard a woman remark, that's what's wrong with our country today. Kids today don't even know how to pray. I mean, asking God for ice cream. Why, I never. Hearing this, his son was a little sad and tears came to his eyes. And he said, well, Dad, did I, did I do it wrong? Is God mad at me? His father held him and assured him that he had done a terrific job and God was certainly not mad at him. Well, just then, an elderly gentleman approached the table. He winked at the little boy and said, I happen to know that God thought that was a great prayer. Really? The young man said. The guy said, cross my heart. Then, in a theatrical whisper, the old man pointed to the lady and said, too bad she never asked God for ice cream. A little ice cream is good for the soul sometimes. <laughs> well, naturally, the guy says, I bought my son the big hot fudge sundae that he wanted. And, and his son got the sundae and started to put a spoon in it. But he didn't. He put his spoon down and he took the ice cream over and he put it in front of the woman. And with a big smile, he said, here, this is for you. Ice cream is good for the soul sometimes, and my soul is good. <laughs> oh, we need to be good to each other. Sometimes it takes more than just a smile. It takes an extra twist at the end. <laughs> Come on. And so church growth. Let me just focus on this for a moment. Church growth, God's way. What do we need to grow as people, as families, as community, and especially as the church? Well, a few things here. How many points do I have so you guys won't? Six points. So there you go. Don't worry. Yeah, six, seven. Can I get, can I get eight? Eight? Nine? No. Just six. <laughs> First of all, corporate prayer. Listen, I emphasize this. We do need that. I know everybody can't come, uh, you know, sometimes on Wednesday nights, people work, people do. I, understand, I get all that. But I'm saying when you can, come to corporate prayer. Come to corporate prayer. And it's important. It's not just a thing we come together and say, oh, well, you know, I went to prayer today, so that was great. Listen, this is fundamental, not supplemental. It's fundamental. Acts 1.14 says this, These all continued with one accord and in prayer and supplication with the women and, the, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brother. This is when God poured out his spirit because they were on one accord and they continued in prayer together. It wasn't just one person prayer and praying and everybody else sitting back going, yeah, you go ahead and pray. All of them were praying. Corporate prayer is important. We're going to grow. We need to pray together. Also, I'll, I'll throw this out there. We have a time now before church, prayer time in the sanctuary. 
Now, listen, a lot of times we have to fellowship. We don't see everybody, you know, but once a week sometimes, some of us, and things we want to talk about and all of that. Great. I'm not saying don't do that. But every once in a while, come on in and pray. Come on in and pray. It's nice piano music playing. Lights are down a little bit. Spirit of the Lord is here. It's not threatening. Nobody's going to kick you out. Come on in and pray. When we do that together, God speaks to us together. Don't wait for God to speak to me and only me. Okay? I know how Moses was. I, I understand that. But now God has poured out his spirit on all flesh. Yes, pastor is the lead. Yes, I, I understand that. I'm with it. I'm not shirking my responsibilities. But what I'm telling you is we're going to do this thing. We've got to do it together. We all have to pray. We all have to hear from the Lord. We have to join hands and go forward together. Corporate prayer is part of that if we're going to grow. Another thing, I'm going to come on Front Street a little bit this morning. All right, I'm coming all the way down Walnut, making left on the bypass, and I'm coming to Front Street. You didn't know Front Street was there, but it's there. Front. Second thing is, that, and by the way, this is, this is not, I didn't just make this up. I prayed, you know, active participation, number two. Active participation. In Acts chapter 6, we find a lack in the church. The Hellenists, Greeks, they came to the disciples and said, listen, our widows are being neglected. There's a hole here. There's a gap in what we're doing. What did the church do at that point? People had to step up, folks, and serve. The 12, the leaders said, listen to what they said. They said, you seek out among you seven filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit. They have a good reputation. And then let us appoint them over this business. They didn't say, let me see who might be able to do it. Nor did they stand behind the pulpit and say, I need volunteers for children's church. Mm. They said, you seek out amongst yourself some that are willing to serve. And then we'll support them. We'll lay our hands on them. As long as they're filled with the Spirit, good reputation, we need it. Might not be what you know to do. Might not be your best subject. But the church needs it. Where would you be if you needed something and the Lord said, well, that's really not what I do best. I'm doing healings today. I know you need a financial deliverance, but I, that's not really me. Go ask the bank. And you go to the bank and say, listen, bank, I need some money. The bank says, well, what I look like? Your mother, you got some. So you listen to that and say, well, okay, I go to my mother. Mom, I need some money. Well, I look like a bank. So you're just in a pattern. What if God did that to you? He doesn't do that. He steps up and fills the gap where it's needed. Active participation. Number three is fellowship. Listen to Acts chapter 4. Verse 32 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any uh, of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power, the apostles... Now, this is important. Listen to this. I know we don't have Acts up there, but please listen to me. Please listen to this. It says, And with great power, the apostles gave witness. With great power... 
The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need power to even witness. And great grace was upon them all, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them, brought the proceeds to the things that were sold, so on and so forth. But they all came together. They came up with a plan together so that no one would have lack. They worked together. It wasn't just about me. Well, I got mine and you need to learn how to get yours. They came together. That's what fellowship is all about. Listen to John. I didn't write it down here, but John chapter 15. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to John 15 with me. You know this verse of scripture. Here's what it's all about. This is what it's all about. You want to know what it's all about? I know you do. So I'm going to tell you. John chapter 15. The book of John. Not 1st John. Not 2nd John. Not 3rd John. St. John. Verse 11, Jesus said this. He said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. He said, This is my commandment that you love one another as, as, as I have loved you. Then he goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, than one to lay down one's life for his friends. If you say you love me, then show it. He's not talking about a bus is coming, push you out of the way, I get hit by the bus, I gave my life for you. Now, that could be. But more so, what he's talking about is the things that you deem important, I will put what I want aside for a time to help you. You know, in a marriage, I really believe that it is the job, utmost job of the husband to make sure that his wife fulfills her purpose in life. That, if he hasn't done that, he's failed. If she hasn't fulfilled her purpose, then he takes the blame, at least some of it. And vice versa. It's the wife's job to support her husband, make sure he fulfills his purpose. And if they're both doing that, they'll both fulfill their purpose. Well, it's no different in this body of Christ. It's no different in this marriage to the Lamb. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. He's done everything to make sure we fulfill our purpose. He has given us power from on high. He has given us the Holy Spirit, the same one that raised him from the dead. What are we doing for our part? Fellowship. You see, I've seen a lot of vertical Christians. So have you. Here's what I mean by that. I've seen a lot of Christians that are worried about this way and that's the way it has to be. And it should be because God, you know, I, I, we've talked about it in praise and worship that we need to be doing a lot more songs that are this way, you know, praising God. But when you're only a vertical Christian and you can't see what's out here, you lose so much. In fact, you don't believe that's God's way. Let me tell you something. The cross is vertical and horizontal. They go together. So you can't just be a vertical Christian. You have to be horizontal as well. You have to be horizontal as well. You have to be willing to do for others. You have to be willing to participate in your church. You have to be willing to fellowship with one another. Reminds me of another story. 
I know, I'm getting to the six points. What do we got? One, two, three. Halfway there. Almost there. Don't worry. Reminds me of a story. This, uh, this preacher, uh, he was inspired one Sunday morning. And uh, so he thought, this Sunday morning, uh, I just feel it. The Holy Spirit is in me to preach. You know, not just teach and have points you know, like I do. He, he wanted to preach this morning, Pastor. He had it. You got it. So he got up before the church and started his sermon. He gave a scripture and he said, you know what the Lord's been showing me? Lord shows me that this church, we just, we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to the basics. We need to, we need to get on our hands and knees and crawl. We need to crawl for the Lord. Back to basics. Talking about foundation. Need to crawl. We need to crawl for the Lord. After just a moment of silence, heard from the back, let her crawl, Rev, let her crawl. So this inspired him a little bit. It does, you know, when you're a preacher, you know, really preach to somebody, yeah, you, gives you more, you know. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, I like that. He said, well, you know what this church needs to do? After we crawl, Brother Keith, we need to put one foot here, one foot here, stand up. This church needs to stand up for the Lord. We need to be a church that's standing up for God. And then a few more people joined in from the back. Let her stand, Rev. Let her stand. Well, he was encouraged a little bit more. He said, now you know what this church needs to do? Oh, we're standing. We need to put one foot in front of the other and soon you'll be walking across the floor. That's Disney. Put one foot in front of the other, and we need to walk for the Lord. This church, Brother Barry, needs to walk for God. So more people joined in, and he heard, Let her walk, Rev. Let her walk. Well, just totally inspired now. I mean, he's gone. He's preaching now. Totally inspired. He said, Yes, that's right. We need to walk. He said, the Lord also spoke to me and said, all y'all need to start tithing. You need to start giving. You need to come to church every time the doors are open. You need to work in every ministry. You need to give more than you've given before. This church needs to run for the Lord. Needs to run. Then there was a moment of silence. And he heard that first brother from the back say, let her crawl, Rev. Let her crawl. (laughs) Well, when the rubber meets the road and God really challenges us, what will we do? Will we participate? Will we fellowship? Will we go the extra mile? Jesus said, greater love has no one than someone that lays down their life for a friend. Don't let him crawl. Don't let him crawl. Next is relational evangelism. That means when we're outside of this church is what we just talked about. It means sometimes you need to open your mouth. You need to be nice. You need to be Christian-like, right? We need to be that in the marketplace, on our, uh, on our jobs, in our homes, everywhere we are, because it's who we are, not what we do. We don't pick it up and put it down. It's just us. It's just who we are. And when you're that, it's so easy. I was thinking about there's a, a lady at work, and uh, 
you know, we were talking one day. This, this lady knows how to talk. I mean, she has the gift of gab. And we were talking one day about different uh, areas of the job. And she, you know, we were, we were both saying, you know, I, I would have a hard time being a salesman, you know. And uh, I would, you know, it's just because, you know, some, I would try to sell it and people say no. And I say, okay, and just keep on moving. You know, I don't have that rebuttal thing, you know. But I, we, I was thinking when it comes to something that you really believe in, you just almost don't take no for an answer. Not that you, you know, bother someone or get on their nerves, but you're so convicted that you make sure you've done everything you can, right, to express the love of the Lord, that there's no excuse. That's a relational evangelist. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Some time goes by, talk to them again. You're getting on their nerves, let it go. Come back and talk to them again. Relational evangelism. Thinking of another story. This little old lady, she, she was a Christian, and uh, next door to her lived an atheist. And she would come out every morning on her porch and come on her porch, and she would scream, Praise the Lord! It's a new day. The atheist would come out on his porch and say, There is no God! It's a new day. So this went on day after day, month after month, year after year. The Christian old lady wasn't discouraged by the atheist, and the atheist was not influenced by the Christian woman. So one day, the lady needed some groceries. She was down, and she wasn't going to get paid for another couple weeks, and uh, she was out of groceries, and she needed groceries. So she decided to go out on the porch and pray. So she went out and asked the Lord, Lord, I need some groceries. And then she said, praise the Lord. And the atheist came out and said, there is no God. The next day, on her porch, the lady had some groceries. And she said, praise the Lord. And the atheist jumped out from behind the bushes and said, aha, See, you think God gave you those groceries, but I bought those groceries. Huh. The lady said, praise the Lord, you gave me groceries and you made Satan pay for them. <laughs> Relational evangelism at its best. <laughs> Number five, discipleship. We talked about this, we must... Be disciples, we must be discipled, and we must also disciple others. And all of us can do this. You don't have to be some great theologian, right? Lois is teaching the class right now. She's probably going to teach it again, or some others will teach it. All right, go in there. If you don't know how to be a, dis a discipler, take her class. I'm telling you. It will teach you how to disciple others, right? It's not that difficult. <laughs> a lot of people want to know. They really do. It'll teach you how to disciple others. And then finally, this one, you know, I talked about participation, but I'm taking it to a, another level here, a commitment to serve. Really a commitment to serve, folks. Turn to one last scripture for me and we're through. Romans chapter 7. Turn to Romans chapter 7. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Romans chapter 7. 
Look at verse number 6. It says, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. I think some of us are still serving in the light of old tradition and old law. There comes a point where God calls us and he says, I know what your gifts and your talents are. I, I do. I gave them to you. I know what all that is. But God calls out and says, I need you. I need you to step up. I need you to serve. Your church depends on it. If we, you know, and we have this thing. We have this thing where we always say, well, you know, we lack in a certain area. Let's just pray and God will send somebody. How many know he will? A lot of times God does do that. He'll, he'll send somebody. Very often, though, there is somebody. There is somebody. And he might send somebody greater. He might send an expert. But in the meantime, we're going to stop. We're not going to do that anymore. Simply because there's a gap. Folks, commitment to serve. And here's the thing about it. I'm real excited about a, a new series we have coming up called Live to Give. Here's the a, here's a thing about it. And this is a thread through that whole series is, and this is not why you're doing it. You're doing it simply because God is good. But you have no idea how blessed you will be. You will be. You wonder, why am I not blessed? Why am I not this? Why does it, everything so hard? Why does it seem like I'm stuck? Think of the widow's might. If you were a person who gave your heart, if you were a person who laid down your life for your friends, if you were a giver, there would be no limit to the blessings that God would pour out upon you in every area of your life. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about healing, bills paid off, people in your family being saved. I'm talking about all of it because that's the way God is. He's all of it. God's not part of it. He's all of it. Right? And his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Amen. Stand to your feet this morning.